Welcome to the Our Wyoming Life Perspective, a weekly podcast giving you an inside look at the real life struggles and triumphs of modern agriculture while introducing you to where your food really comes from and the families behind it. It's time to take a spin around the pasture. And here's your host, Mike Galloway. The first day of summer is now only 100 days away and uh, we still have to get through spring, but the big news here on the ranch is that it seems that we've turned corner on winter. While there's still snow on the ground, it's melting fast, and uh, there is more snow on the way, but it seems like it's forever away. Oddly enough, when while winter is far from over, we're now looking past it and on to spring and summer. And I remember as a kid, I really didn't care about tomorrow, but now it's weeks and months down the road that keep my mind kind of occupied. Good morning. Welcome to the Art Wyoming Life Perspective. Joining us today is the lovely Erin. Erin, are you tired of winter yet? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not my favorite season, although I enjoy the downtime and the more... It's a different routine. I wouldn't say it's not busy. It's just a different routine of winter. Like, I will somewhat um, just miss... You know, it's more time spent with the kids and more time spent in the house, although, like, I'm ready to be outside. Like, I'll just you know, it's like, you can't have, you, you miss what you don't have to some extent. Like I'm definitely ready. You know, we've had some warm days, some sixties and it was really nice and I've been planting and everything already. So it's, it's nice to be back in the dirt and it's, I'm ready to be done. You're ready for spring and, and summer yeah. and all that. Kind yeah. Of We're good still stuff. like, it's beginning of March. We got all of March, April and May potentially for lots of snow. <laughs> still but True. it's been a while since we've had like a lot of snow in may i mean we had well, some, we had snow in may what a couple of years ago the kids went back to school not last, the last year. day of school not last year because of course we didn't have a last day of school but uh yeah so 2019 they went to last day of school with boots and winter coats on yeah yeah standing in the snow waiting for the and bus that's, i mean it's pretty it's not so our last frost date is may 20th and so um of course, we can have snow past that even, but yeah, typically we don't get a lot of like May snow. We get a lot of slush April, March and April when we get our big, wet, heavy snowstorms. Yeah, and those are the snows that we really need. I mean, yeah. obviously they have all the all the moisture and all that kind of good stuff in them. So that definitely tends to help. Um, so we are, what it, what's the first day of, of spring? March 20th, I think, is the first day of spring or yeah, 21st or something like that. Yeah, we spring forward this winter, this, this winter, <laughs> this weekend, we spring forward. Yeah, they change the, change the clocks, which makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when we were kids, it was like in April when it's, when it sprung forward. Was it? I had no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't even really remember daylight savings time I remember as a kid. It. Probably more so as a teenager than as a small child. It confuses the heck out of our kids. Um, but yeah, so it used to be in April. Now it's in March. Um, you know, that kind of always really does signify like, you know, it's springtime. March can be deceptively warm for us and we can have some really nice weather in March. And we have, um, definitely usually like the first couple of weeks in March, we get like our first like false spring and we're there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's snow on the ground actually again, but Grace, the other day we were heading uh, home from school or or something. I can't remember. We were driving. Maybe we were going to gymnastics or ice skating or whatever it was. Uh, but she was asking me about the uh, in like a lion, out like a lamb yeah. thing. And and she said, you know, is and this was right at the beginning of March, obviously. So she's like, you know, did March come in like a lion or like a lamb? And I said, well, 
you know, it's 60 degrees outside right now. So obviously, so she, then she was really confused because then she was like, well, if it comes in like a lamb, does it go out like a lamb? And usually we're kind of backwards from that. I've seen more horrible end of March. Yeah, it goes in like weather. a comes in like a lamb and out like a lion. Right. Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be the other way around. That March is supposed to come in like a lion, out like a lamb. No, it's it's no, it's not an it's um, um. <laughs> now you're gonna look it up. No, no, no. Um Grace has a she's Grace is calling me. She's at school. She has a, a gizmo watch and she has a tendency to press it when they're outside playing and stuff. So if she calls back twice, then I answer it. Otherwise, it's just me on the other end talking, going, do you need something? Yeah, and you she hear her playing. And <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yesterday, she called me. and She uh, called we, me and then called you. Yeah, and we were together. So she called, when she called me, I was like, oh, maybe it is something. So I answer yeah. it and you can hear her playing. playing. So <laughs> the joke is either she's in the trunk of a car rolling around or she's on the playground. Yeah, uh, rolling play, around. Rolling around. So <laughs> yesterday they were rolling in the down the hill. Um, no, so it's an either or. So if it, it it's if it whichever it comes in like it's going to go out like the opposite it's not a guarantee that it's always going to come in like a lion and out like a lamb oh see now i always thought that saying was in like a lion out like a no. lamb i thought that was just how march was supposed to work no if it comes in like a lion it goes out like a lamb if it comes in like a lamb it goes out like a lion do they have this saying in florida i don't know we have well, i learned about i remember learning about it in like first grade <laughs> really i don't i don't even remember daylight savings time until i think they could have they could have invented daylight savings time when i was like 17 and i wouldn't have known the difference i'm like, sure you would have i don't remember it well just because you don't remember it doesn't mean that you didn't know about it that's very true yeah there's lots of stuff that i i don't remember <laughs> there's tons of things i don't remember so as we uh as we get uh, closer to the first day of spring obviously um we've already is that grace because now i just got a ding on my phone sure she just sent me a text message no. um as we uh as we get uh uh closer to the first day of spring in just what nine days ten days something like that um we've already you've already well i can't say we but you're already preparing for months down the road you're mm -hmm. getting ready for a harvest yep. pretty dang are, are you how far away how far away are you now from your first harvest do you um, think our first, uh, our first harvest, I can tell you, like, I know the date. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, because of our veggie basket program. Um, so our first harvest will be, oh, Grace left me a voicemail. <laughs> uh, May 3rd. May 3rd will be your yeah. first so harvest. So if I, I mean, if something comes ready before then, like, I'll pick it. But, like, our first major harvest uh, will be May 3rd. I thought it would be closer than that because I, I was out in the high tunnel and, like, there's there's plants now that are yeah, little yeah. plants. I mean, they're up, yeah. they're, they're, they're growing. I there's, don't know what they are. They're green. There's kale planted. There's cabbage planted. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it takes, it takes quite some time to maturity for those. Is and that something that, that takes longer in the spring than it takes during the summer? Yeah. So general rule of thumb is, and this is for like spring gardening, um, this time of the year and, and fall gardening. So, um, there's a couple of like calendar dates that I go by in order to have a successful um, spring and and winter harvest and stuff. And so um, first week in February, we hit 10 hours of daylight. That's a big That's milestone. a big, huge thing, um, in both in the spring and the fall. So um, above 10 hours of daylight, plants will tend to grow at an accelerated or at a visible rate. Not, you know, not daily, but like you will start to see more growth occurring faster. Um, once we hit, once we drop below 10 hours of daylight, which happens first week in November, 
for our latitude, um, plants very much like if they're not mature, like if you have beets that are not mature, like they're not going to make it at that point. Um, they'll see just a small bit of growth. So once we hit 10 hours of daylight, it's really time for us to start thinking about planting. And um, if our Februarys were warmer, I would probably like direct seed spinach right away in February. But our Februarys can be pretty bitterly cold. And we did have, you know, 30 below, which would have been tough for anything to survive because they don't have heat in the high tunnel. But so usually about first week in March or so, we start planting. And, um, and this will all be for a May harvest. So typically in our shoulder seasons, it takes about 50% longer for plants to reach maturity um, than it does like in the summer. So a radish is anywhere from like 23 to 27 days to maturity, and it's gonna take 45 to 60. And we're in the shoulder season now. Yes. So yeah. shoulder seasons are really, not summer. Yeah, I really like February through May and then like, August through November. Cause like once you hit August 1st, you'll see your summer crops will start to slow down. Um, and things like your winter squashes and stuff will like, they'll, you know, cabbage and stuff like they'll, they'll work on finishing their production. Um, so it goes shoulder season. Is it head season? No, I just and then another shoulder season? How, what do they call it? What are they? Is that just your growing season? I just call season? it growing season. Yeah. Okay. And we have a short growing season. You know, we have short, you know, May 20th to September 20th is our frost free zone. And it's but that's not, not always your growing season. No. Because it still can be cold during that time. Yeah, May. So what is the actual growing season? Has anybody figured that out? About July about july <laughs> <laughs> the month of july <laughs> so the only thing we can technically grow here is radishes that have a 27 day season no uh, yeah i mean like things grow the fastest um it, it, and it depends june can be great and we can see a lot of growth in june i've seen some stuff just kind of sit in the garden in june and be really slow if it's cold and wet um and then yeah july usually strains out and then august it's plants you can tell like hurry up and finish um you know like if if the corn is only three foot tall come first of August, it's gonna it's gonna tassel and it's gonna try and produce a crop, you know. Mm -hmm. And so like once we hit first of August, things really switch from growing into like finishing maturity. I uh, I got an email not too long ago uh, talking about how um, easy you make things look. Oh. Um, that you know that that almost it's almost to the point like it's it looks too easy to do but that's that's the hard the hard thing here is to make it look easy i yeah. guess because this has taken years for you to figure out you know wow. how how spring and summer you know evolve here because it's, it's different every single year isn't it i mean you really can't yeah. say hey i'm gonna plant this we go through this every year i think that you can't say i'm gonna plant it now and i'm gonna have a harvest yep. by may 3rd i like, have a schedule um that i that i usually plan in like um january or february but it's it's very um it's a loose schedule it's more like these are great goals to try and accomplish <laughs> but um you know, when it was 35 below or whatever, like, thank goodness I didn't have crops in the ground. Um, but you saw that was coming, right? Yeah, so I saw that was you coming. Were, you were going to plant right, or planting gonna... would have happened right before that that yep. time frame, that really cold two weeks? Yeah, I mean, it was ideal. Like, I would have, if the forecast had been good, I would have, like, I would have went and put some spinach in the ground in the high tunnel. Um, but then with that forecast, I was just like, well, the seeds, if I water, the seed starts to germinate. It's not going to grow because it's too cold. It's going to rot. Like, can you kind of like stunt their growth even in the beginning? Like, do you want 
Like, I mean, it could come up and freeze, but it's more so if it's not warm enough to germinate and we don't have enough sunshine for it to germinate, like the seed's going to rot. And so it's never going to emerge from the ground and you've just wasted that seed. So all this thinking that goes into the gardens, uh-huh. can it be shifted like and equated to like the hay fields, like hay growth? I mean, does the same thing happen with if we go out and seed too early, will the will yeah. it, will the seed rot in the ground? Absolutely, yeah. Or be too cold or whatever. I mean, we see like um, a lot of people will seed. Gilbert used to seed in April when he had. Remember when he did hay oh, barley? Yeah. Gilbert yep. did hay barley. He would seed that in April, but some people seed obviously in the winter time. So it all depends upon the crop, and so um, like everything that I'm growing right now is cold crops, right? It's it's not. There's no tomatoes. Um, we're going to start peppers and tomatoes in the grow room here shortly, but it's it's stuff that can handle cold temperatures and it's stuff that can germinate. And so it's all the success of your harvest is based upon, you know, the beginning parameters. And so moisture, you know, every seed needs moisture to break its seed coating and to emerge. And then it needs, you know, another dose of moisture to um, to grow. Um it needs to not dry. Once that seed coating gets wet, if it dries out, it's dead. Um, and it also needs the correct soil temperatures. So um, things like tomatoes, peppers, corn, zucchini, they all germinate in warmer soil temperatures, whereas like spinach will germinate in like certain varieties of spinach can germinate in as low as like, I want to say like 35 to 40 degrees. Wow. Um, whereas like corn needs like soil above 50 degrees, ideally closer to 60 degrees, um, for corn to germinate successfully. So each crop is different. Grasses are more hardy. And so some grasses are more hardy, more temperature hardy. And so it would just depend. Um, you know, I can't say off the top of my head, like what a crested wheat germinates at versus like an alfalfa, but I would imagine there's some, some differences. Is there, do you think there would be benefit to, um, let's say we were going to reseed a hay field or, or drill into a hay field and kind of, would, would it be beneficial to do it in the fall so that it has snow and stuff sitting on top of it, hopefully all winter long? Or is that just another gamble like everything else? We've never done like a lot of research into fall grass seeding, but I know like you can plant your yard in the fall and like it's... It just sits dormant until it gets yeah. to a certain temperature. So, and or I don't know if you could. I don't know if it'd be better to go out and do it like in November when we know that seed's just going to stay dormant because the temperatures are not going to promote germination, or if it'd be better to try and do it in September if we have some rain coming and hope that you get some germination. Like I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, that would people specialize in grass. I'm not that person. I can talk to you about radishes. <laughs> so, but I mean, the parameters are the same. You need the right temperature. You need the right amount of moisture at the right time. You know, and if you if you ignore those parameters and you put seed in, if I plant corn in March, it's not going to grow. Even if I water it, right, it's not going to grow. And it'll just sit in the ground and rot. It'll rot. Yeah, there is a life expectancy. You know, if certain things happen to that seed below ground, like that prohibit germination and growth, like it's not going to sit there forever. Right. So the That's worst thing that happens and like we had this happen one year where we we seeded, we got enough moisture to make stuff come up and then it it didn't get an, enough moisture again then to establish a root system that would sustain it. 
Um, Are you talking about in the garden? No, in the when we seeded the hay. Fields. Oh yeah, yeah. When we, yeah. Oh yeah, that was a. That was we a did see year, a yeah. tiny bit of growth. We didn't get really good germination because it wasn't as wet as it, it needed to be. It was a dry year. We didn't even have hay that year. Yeah, and then the stuff that did come up because I could see tiny little plants that had come up, and like when you drill, you know, there's a there's a row, there's a row, and so some stuff did come up, but then it just didn't get enough moisture to establish a root system that would allow it to come back the next year. So, um, and I see it like in the garden when I'm germinating seeds, like I will even you know I'll water twice a day, um, lesser amounts, but like you don't. You don't want that seed coating to dry out. So you want to keep an even amount of moisture and keep, you know, essentially that top, you know, radishes are only sown at quarter to half an inch. And so in the summer, I water less frequently and water more deeply. But when we're germinating, I water more often and just shallow watering. Mm -hmm. If we could just control the rain. Well, yeah, if we had that power, it would be <laughs> good to go. You remember when Gilbert died, and I mentioned this earlier, but Gilbert used to do hay barley. And we took those fields that he that he did hay barley, which was a seasonal crop, an, an, an annual, an annual crop. Um, and then we decided, okay, we're going to seed these back into a grass alfalfa mix. So we went through and reseeded uh, all this this summer follow, basically, is what it was at that point, or was it just? You know, I think it was tilled ground, just dirt. Yeah. And and we seeded into that with a regular grain drill, and then we got that drought that year. Mm -hmm. And it was just weeds. It was just weeds. Yeah, it came up. It, it you know, it was just whole, full of weeds. And we thought, oh, we're, we're done for. Yep. And then the next year came back and I was looking in the field and I saw it coming. I, it was turning green again. And I was like, oh, those stupid weeds. Like, what are we going to do with this yeah. field? We're going to have to burn it down. Like, what's going to happen here? It, what? Yeah. And I remember you called me because I was driving by it and you were like, how's the field look? And I was like, it's just weeds. It's still just weeds. Yeah. And then I think I, I was doing something and I went out into the field to do something. I'm looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is alfalfa. It's all so alfalfa. it was, so it was 100% solid alfalfa. Maybe it was a little bit a little of grass. Bit. But the original mix that we planted was only 10% alfalfa, right? So that alfalfa just took over that field yeah. somehow. And and so this is where like seed hardiness and temperatures and, and stuff all like come into play and stuff. So that alfalfa either didn't get enough moisture to germinate, so it sat in the soil dormant, like something didn't trigger its germination, or it got enough germination that it, the root system is substantially different on an alfalfa or a clover than on a grass. Um, alfalfa has a tap root, so a three, four foot deep root, whereas most grasses, mostly like clump grasses, are eight to 12 inches. Mm -hmm. And so that just that different root structure could it it very visibly different result had it was what happened in the the hayfield than what we thought you know with the weather conditions and yeah stuff. and then the interesting thing was that like alfalfa comes up and then it choked out the weeds so it, yep. it came up early yep. choked out all the i mean it was almost like a perfect storm like mm -hmm. that, that 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 happened i don't think we could have planned it no not at all <laughs> there's no way like there's no way we could have been like hey we're gonna plant but you know this field but the bad thing with alfalfa is even though it's a perennial it has an eight to ten year life where it it has peak maturity years at about like four to five years and then it starts to diminish so right. like at that point you know you need to go in and seed more grass right or, and that's kind of where we're at even out here in these yeah. hay fields like our, our alfalfa has not been reseeded well since right after gilbert died right because that was yeah but it didn't work it didn't work so yeah, yeah they haven't been reseeded in 10 years yeah. almost at least. Yeah. And I remember remember the, the year that they did receive some alfalfa. Um, it had to be like 
2006 or seven. Yeah, and I remember so, hearing the story about it because Gilbert yeah. had a guy named Benjamin working for him, and if uh, they were out with the grain drill um, seeding alfalfa, they must have tore up the field or at least I think he it scarred or, it, like he yeah. ripped it, and then they were able to go through with the grain drill. And uh, they loaded up the grain drill. With yeah, because a grain seed. drill and a no-till drill are Completely very different, different things. Yeah. So a grain drill actually goes more in the ground, whereas a no-till drill punches, punches holes. holes kind of thing. Well, and grain drill is more so just kind of, it's kind of just dropping some seed. Yeah. Right. But yeah, and there is some control to it. Yeah. But because that's what, that's what the, like, the, they loaded up the grain drill. Benjamin jumped in the tractor, went around the field like twice and called Gilbert and said, I'm out of seed. Yeah, it wasn't calibrated. It wasn't calibrated. They, they, yeah, they dumped hundreds of pounds of seed in a very, very small yeah. area. And remember that field was just like solid alfalfa. For 16 feet. Yeah, for 16 <laughs> feet. And then, but it, and, it didn't even, like, you know that alfalfa didn't even reach its full potential, right? Because it was too crowded. It, it choked. choking itself Yeah, out. like It did kind of spread, though. Did you notice yeah. that? Like, it over the years, it, it continued to reseed itself. And, yeah. and that, I guess that's one thing that's about, like, if you don't, uh, you know, if we have crappy years and we don't have a good, we don't have a hay crop, then it's reseeding itself. In theory, kind of. there's potential. So alfalfa is not a good reseeder, whereas other grasses are better at reseeding themselves. And I always say, like, a plant's main potential is to to reproduce, right? I mean, even a tomato is a, a way for that plant to reproduce. Um, and so some, but some things do it better than others. And alfalfa doesn't do it great, but it can. But it also depends on, like, does a seed... So if you if you've done any if you if you save your own seeds from your garden, it's an extremely complex area of horticulture, seed saving. Um, seeding sa seeds saving is an art form. And whether it's a vegetable or a grass, like it's it's a very technical process. And so and I don't really know a lot about seed saving, but I've taken a few classes to save a tomato seed with the best chance of viability the next year. One, you have to have the right genetics. So hybrids are not, <laughs> they don't work. And then um, you also, like that tomato needs to almost essentially get to the point of it's rotten on the outside for the seed to reach maturity on the inside and to be able to continue on that plant for the next generation. So if frost comes in and kills the grass, or doesn't kill the grass, but if you get a frost before seeds have reached maturity, that will damage it. If you don't get enough moisture, it can't form seeds that reach maturity. If an antelope comes in and eats it before the seeds reach maturity, you know, there's so if a cow, you know, because we did graze the fields and right. stuff, most of the grazing didn't happen until after a frost. So at that point, you've given the grass potentially enough chance to produce a seed. But there's it's not just a guarantee that a grass is going to make a seed. Do you think though that us grazing after frost, because that's one thing we did try to do was graze after frost, that now that, that they come through, they eat it, it goes through them, it's pooped out, and now is there a possibility for any type of reseeding happening? Like a natural, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously I mean, that is, this had to happen before people came along. Yeah, Buffalo is, pooped out seeds yeah, all day long. It is through poop is a, you know, through migrating herds and stuff like that is a, that is a natural, it is a natural way of um, things being reseeded. Um, is it efficient though? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and and those the grass, you know, should drop its seeds on the ground too. And whether or not the cows pick up those seeds, you know, probably not so much if they're just on the ground because cattle don't. If you had sheep, I would say they would eat everything because they'll eat the roots. Oh. Um, different animals graze differently. You know, pigs will eat roots. Cows don't. Cows right. don't destroy like the crown of the plant. 
they can huh. only get so low the way that, I've actually seen yeah, that the way their, their, teeth. their teeth are formed they can yeah. only get so low to the ground but before like, their nose bumps into the ground if you do um if you do graze you know there's a science behind like if you have a mixed herd and like you graze your cattle first you graze your sheep i think you graze your pigs like you and you bring in chickens and then, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then um, guinea pigs and and that's all based upon the science of how how their mouths work and what areas of the plant they're able to graze so i think you know probably cows would leave the seeds on the ground i'm just guessing here i really don't know anything about this <laughs> <laughs> it's okay nobody's listening anyway. it's fine uh but yeah i think you know you don't what I envision in my limited knowledge of grass seeds and reseeding is that if the seed is still on the plant because it hasn't reached maturity and that seed hasn't been released from the plant, it won't release itself until it's mature in theory. Um, you so know, a cow coming and eating the plant doesn't do any good. That seed gets killed as soon as it enters I into the cow. I believe. So maybe it's more from cows coming through and trampling the seeds and pushing them into the ground. I don't know. I mean, and that helps too. Yeah, you got You have to get soil contact. Um, you know, if you look at like a crested wheat or whatever, you know, the seed, you know, we, we pay attention to when is when are the heads forming because that's where your seeds are at. And then, you know, when do the heads open? Um, you know, certain grasses, you want to try and hay them before the heads open because it leads to like less jaw problems and stuff. And like, you know, especially when we Gilbert would do the hay barley and stuff, like there's a certain phase of that plant that you want to... The boot stage. You want to cut that That's grass in because hay barley is just a grass. Um, it's a grass before it's a grain. Um, and yeah, once that like head opens and the seeds are released, you know, that's... There goes all your protein, your, your nutrition. nutrients. Yeah. yeah. And that's because that that grass is trying to make a baby <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's so weird that with plants all we're doing is eating their we're not even eating their babies we're eating their their undeveloped their, embryos yeah, exactly it's so <laughs> weird like you know my gosh well, you, the, like, the vegetarians would have a fit if they knew they were eating <laughs> undeveloped plant embryos yeah and like root crops like beets and carrots and stuff you know that that vegetable production is is energy storage for the next year because like those don't produce seeds until the second year but they need energy storage and so that's why you get a carrot really yes you didn't even know that i didn't even know that yeah so certain crops flower or seed themselves there certain certain crops are annual seeders like a radish will seed annually um whereas like a carrot or a beet um is a biannual so a wild carrot has to not nobody gets to mess with it for two years, two years. or else it will not reproduce yes. itself yep so if a rabbit comes along and it's done if the rabbit pulled the carrot from the ground, yes. If the rabbit just ate the tops, fine. It'll grow new tops. Okay. If there's enough carrot for energy storage. The carrot part is actually like the gas tank of yes. the plant. That's yeah. where everything's stored. Yeah. And then carrots have great eyesight too, I hear. <laughs> so they can see, they can't, they can't see the rabbit coming though. Not like they can move though. So it doesn't really make any difference. The the science and everything that, that goes behind. And I think this is part of like what that email that I got was saying, like, you know, you guys make it look almost too easy. And, and the only reason is that we always talk about this, but like we've been on the ranch for a while. So I think that, um, you know, if we, if we would have had a, a YouTube channel or anything else uh, prior to uh, now, yeah. we would have looked like complete idiots and maybe that would have been better for us. Maybe yeah. it would have been more, uh, you know, relatable because, you know, there is that, I do get that, you know, occasionally where it's, you know, you know, you guys were trying to share knowledge, but at the same time, it's very much, 
you know, it took a long time to gain that knowledge. And or at least it's not even knowledge, really. A lot of times it's just trial and error. And it's like, this is what works right here. And it's not going to work for you a mile down the road. Well, and it was such a gradual process and stuff. Like, you know, my mom always, I grew up with a garden. So like, in theory, you'd think I knew how to garden. I didn't know how to market garden. And I didn't, I didn't know how to plan out crops. I didn't know how many seeds per foot I needed. I didn't know what the spacing on a cabbage was or something really cool this, this spring. We're doing mini cabbages. It changes. What is a mini cabbage? They're just cabbages that are not full size. It's just an early cabbage. It's an early cabbage, but you 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 space them closer together so that they cannot form as broad of leaves, and they make a smaller head of cabbage because ultimately it's a race to reproduction, and so. (laughs) Isn't it just a regular cabbage that you just put closer together? Yeah, yeah, but it's it it. Is it a special breed of cabbage? No, no, no. Oh no, it's just a regular regular. It's a regular cabbage. In fact, some of them. I thought it was like some weird breed of. No, it's just. is that the right word? Breed of cap? No, no. Variety. Variety. It's controlling the spacing to control the outcome. We've had some big ass cabbages. Yeah. That scare so. people. I mean, they. <laughs> I've had some like people are 18. like, I can never. You never eat that. That thing weighs more than a bowling ball. I had one year. I think I had. I had several like twelve to eighteen pound cabbages. Yeah. Like, people see those and they panic. I think like, I what made, do I do with that? I don't. There's not enough coleslaw in the world. I made like several quarts of coleslaw of sauerkraut one year off of like two cabbages. <laughs> It was amazing, but because I think there is, I think you're onto something. These little cute things, yeah, yeah, people oh no, like that. Oh, yeah, and we're gonna do some mini lettuce this summer, and like this is the stuff that gets me. Super, and you can charge twice as much because it's smaller. It gets me super excited. But the reason we're doing mini cabbages in the high tunnel in the spring is because it gets too hot come May, and a full cabbage is not gonna be like May, end of May, beginning of June. It gets too hot, and so that cabbage will be like, "Whoa, I don't like this. I'm a cold crop. Like, stop it." And so it's not gonna, it's not gonna reach maturity. But by doing these faster ones, because obviously if it's smaller, it doesn't need to get as big. It doesn't need to stay in the ground as long. So now I can have cabbage for my May veggie baskets and for farm store in May that I wouldn't be able to do if I tried to have a full size cabbage because temperature. So a full size cabbage, just for people that don't know, like you had some that were like the size of a basketball. Yeah, no, that's not normal. Uh, okay, what is a normal size cabbage? Three to five pounds. Okay, how big is that? Soccer ball? No, that's big. Um, <laughs> I think you like want... Like a bowling ball? About like this big. big? That's big. Um, um, not like heavy ways. I'm just saying like size yeah, yeah, wise. Yeah, no, that's still really big. Uh, how big are these going to be? Tennis ball size? Um, probably about... So some of them are pointed. What? <laughs> I, th- I thought cabbages were round. Why are you reinventing the wheel? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the seed producer. I'm just the grower. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was actually talking... You can't scare people. I was doing an interview for EPP the other day and and um, we were talking about like variety, seed variety and stuff like there's so much more out there than like green broccoli, white cauliflower and green round cabbage. Like the that, world yeah. of produce is diverse and colorful and in your home garden, it can also be diverse and colorful. Speaking of which, you tried different colors of carrots. What was the best selling color of carrot? Did you I've only tr- done purple. Oh, and you orange. did purple. What, what was, no, it was cauliflower. Yeah. Which which colors of cauliflower sold and which ones didn't? So I did purple. So white, of course. Um, I did purple, orange, and green. Okay. Um, the green is the least popular. The I think because people thought it was broccoli. Well, it, it, but it's like a pale green. It doesn't look like broccoli. No, you're right. It kind of looked. Yeah. It just, it's like a lime green. It's just not as appealing. Okay. What was the best selling? Purple. Purple. It's gorgeous. Tastes There's something the to be said. Like you, you talk about the colors of food and like the side, you know, cute little. T- 
tennis ball sized cabbages. Softball size. Softball size cabbages. Maybe like, a little people larger. People like that. People and you know, like like you said, the the carrots of different colors and the and the cauliflower and stuff like that. Is this a designer food thing or what's bringing this around? I think it's. Um... And is it weird for Wyoming? Are people like this is odd? Yeah, it's a bit strange. It's a bit it, it, like it's it's one of the things that like, gets me really excited about growing because like it it's it's monotonous, right? Like if I if I just grew the some people really specialize in, you know, they're going to master like growing like six to 10 crops. I'm not that person. I'm like, let's grow 47 different crops. And know nothing about any of them. And just be mediocre about everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> but once in a while, you know, you have a really great cauliflower year and you have beautiful heads of purple cauliflower. And it's like, it's really exciting. And it gets me really excited about, um, you know, taking care of those plants and weeding those plants and, and tending to their needs and harvesting and then like making a little like cabbage trio bundle that, you know, is on sale at the farm store. Like, you know, those ridiculous 18 pound cabbages were not what I desired, but at the same time, like the extremes are always fun, right? So like everybody watching the farm store was like, oh my God, that's a huge cabbage. Oh, well, they do the same thing with your, your beets. Yeah. No, was it beets? No, it was uh, turnips. Oh, yeah, yeah. giant turnips you grew one i don't know what they're like mutant turnips. they're not very good either uh we've done the same thing with carrots you've ended up with really big carrots yeah before. last year was a great carrot year and I, I do think like there's something to be said for like you know smaller is almost better when it comes to vegetables because people do to some extent it depends know, on the crop crisper drawers are only so big yeah so you know. yeah and obviously the 18 pound cabbage was a deterrent for some people because they're just like <laughs> i can't handle this there was there was like <laughs> like like legit uh like panic in people's <laughs> eyes when they saw this. They were just like, this is awesome, but what do you do it's, with this? It's you know, so funny it, to see the extremes too in the customers. So some people will be like, give me the smallest one you have and this is still too big. Luckily, like homegrown cabbage will stay good in your fridge for like six weeks. Yeah, I mean, you should have to go in with like eight people. Yeah, <laughs> and some people did that. They some did. people were like, I literally went and cut a cabbage in half for somebody and they they split it. Um, and But then some people were like, give me the biggest ones you have because I'm going to make sauerkraut or I'm going to make cabbage rolls and freeze them. And or so I have a catapult in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I need to launch things. So it all depends upon the consumer's um, needs and desires with that particular produce. Um, and then also like, you know, carrots and stuff and, and turnips and so some some stuff just gets out of control and like i would i think one year i took a turnip to farmer's market and it was huge and it was more so for show like i wasn't gonna let anybody eat it because it was i'm sure it was really um like a piece of wood yeah undesirable texture and flavor and stuff but that's it, a nice way of saying it probably tastes like crap yeah. yeah so but it was it was funny to see right and like if somebody had wanted it i think i was just like yeah just take it whatever <laughs> um because <laughs> the pigs don't like turnips but there's certain varieties. So I grow Hercules carrots and they handle being grown to a larger size. Um, a mochum carrot is a different variety. That is a pencil carrot that does better in the spring and the fall in your shoulder seasons because it has a shorter date of maturity to reach its full potential. And if left to be a bigger carrot, it actually becomes an undesirable texture and flavor. So you have to do your research on what variety is for what your desired end product is. And so tiny cabbage in May is super exciting. In August and September, when people are wanting to do cabbage rolls and sauerkraut, I still want varieties that stay smaller, but I also plant like bigger cabbages 
for different times of the year. One thing that I, that's interesting about the uh, the market gardening is obviously there's people that that make a living off of market gardens. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot. Like if you, you know, if, if a pound of carrots is 99 cents or whatever, I don't even know what a pound of carrots or a carrot goes for, but like it takes a lot of carrots to make money. Like you have to grow tons. And when you're doing it like you are, where you have, like you, you admitted, you have 47 different things going on <laughs> rather than just specializing in 10 things. Yeah. Uh, that makes it even harder, right? Yeah. So certain crops, um, market gardeners look at things about like um, price per square foot, your retail price per square foot. And so like a carrot, you know, it's, um, you know, at the end of the season, I bundle carrots and it's five to eight carrots per bundle, depending on size. And it sells for, I've done $3 for a long time. Prices are being raised this year. So like, I think my new price will be three fifty for that bundle of carrots. Um, and it, it's a one and done. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the year, it's like how many, how many bundles of carrots that I have compared to square footage and, and stuff, but like lettuce and spinach, it's a lot different because you can get two to three to four cuttings depending upon your season, but like how long does it take to regrow? And at some point, like lettuce is going to naturally want to bolt. And so you need to tear out that bed and you need to plant new, but so like your profit per, per square foot goes up the more. Yeah. Like the turn and burn crops, like your quick to quick days to maturity crops, um, hackery turnips, lettuce, radishes, um, spinaches, like any of those like small leafy greens, arugula, like you can get probably at the minimum two cuttings, even in the height of summer season, you can get two cuttings. Um, most greens sell for about $4 for half a pound. Um, lettuce can actually weigh quite a bit depending upon the variety. There's different varieties of lettuce that weigh more than others. And if you look at a seed catalog that's designed for market gardeners, like Johnny's, they'll say stuff like that. Like they'll say, plant this variety to add bulk to your lettuce mixture. Uh, some leaf structure is just heavier, whereas some is more delicate. So when you see people that are really, really trying to make money. Lettuce. Lettuce is the way to go. <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're the ones that are. Yeah, you know, salad greens. Like, people that grow corn, often, no, you know, you're not making any money no, on you a, need, an ear of corn. You, yeah, 50 cents for an ear of corn and it takes two square foot and you got to put some. All nice season to make that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's. um. If you're really about the money and stuff, like a lot of market farms will specialize down into a lot of those quick turn and burn crops with maybe like a few like root crops that take a little longer, like carrots, but, and they'll grow like specialty carrots that like a restaurant, you know, like a five-star Michelin restaurant desires or something, you know? Um, But because I've always been an end consumer based market farm where I want seasonality and I want... Um, you always want something in the store too. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, lettuce you could have all the, you know, with different. But you want a variety of things. Yeah. You don't want just lettuce. I don't want the same thing. If you're selling to a restaurant, they want consistency. You don't want to be known as the lettuce lady. That's not my thing. It's some people's thing. It's not my thing. I like to always have lettuce, but that's not my only thing. So, but if you, if I was selling to a restaurant, do they have salad every day at a restaurant? You know, in your own home, you probably don't eat salad every day. No. So it's just a different. It's not one's not better than the other. It's just a different a different growing technique and a different a different marketing plan. Do you think that having the edible prairie project to be able to to move produce towards is does that help uh, with you know even even with the farm store because you know there's only so much stuff you can move through the farm store too. Yeah. But. So if we didn't, so you know we're we're co sharing space. Edible prairie project is um, a, a 
60% of the produce that we grow from the farm here is designated for EPP's veggie baskets and in our other programs. And so, um, so 60% of everything that's harvested on the ranch produce wise goes directly to food baskets, low income families, all that kind of good stuff. It, that's a generalization, but yeah, it's not all low income. There is retail. Well, I, said, I said food baskets. People yeah. buy food baskets yes. that are not low income. Yeah. Yeah. But some yeah. of it, so so some of that sixty percent, obviously, it's all going to feed local people. Yes. At a reduced cost, because even food baskets, the baskets aren't no, they're full price. Yes, are they? they are. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we have tiered pricing. Edible Prairie Project does, and if you want to know more about the programs that Edible Prairie Project does, you can go to edibleprairieproject.org. Our veggie baskets, if you're in Gillette, are available for purchase, and there's three tiers of pricing. Two of those are geared towards low income, and one is just a regular retail oh, okay uh, tier. Um, so yeah, it goes to veggie baskets and we base the quantity of veggie baskets. So we're a multi-farm veggie basket, but we know that we, cause I'm working with a bunch of new growers who are just kind of getting into market farming and stuff. And although they can produce crops, like I, to some extent can't depend upon them because they just don't have as much experience, although they are they all successfully grew crops last year and they all have plans for expansion this year. So are they coming from farmers markets and moving more like kind, you did? No, or? none of them actually are farmers market people. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, they're just people who decided they wanted to grow stuff and yep. then have EPP yes. buy it from them. Yes, we buy it at 80% of retail. So we're paying a fair price and they don't have to invest their time into um, selling their product. You know, it's not ours. Um, you know, at farmer's market, there's no, they do have to transport it to us in town, uh, but they, you don't have any, you know, it was, it's not expensive to get into farmer's market. You don't have market. to go buy tents. You don't have to buy chairs. Yeah. You don't have to worry about no. the fuel. You don't have to sit at farmer's market every yep. single weekend like we did for years. And you don't have to pay the fee to sit at farmer's market or the commission or however your farmer's market is structured. So you get paid with EPP, you get paid 80% of retail and you get a check once a month. Are um, you are you still looking for partners or are you guys kind of like full up? Um, it's like, it's a tough thing. So I am working with people that we worked with last year. I have a couple potentially new people. Um, and if somebody new contacts us and stuff, like we'll see what their growing plan is, see how much they're producing, and then see where we can fit them in. So we also, under our IRS stipulation of us being a 501c3, we have to produce 60% of the produce for our programs and only 40% can be purchased oh. because when we did our C3 application and stuff, um, nonprofit structure was based very heavily upon um, what you're doing for the community and not economic development. And so if you're spending too much to help other farmers and ranchers, then you're putting too much money into the economy. And that was frowned upon at the time. <laughs> Has that changed now? It, it can change with administrations. Oh, and so I have no idea. I'm sure it'll change then. I'm not a, not applying for C3 status, but yeah. So you, we had to be very careful with like, we had to revise our application so we weren't doing too much economic development because- And that stays with you forever? Um, it can be revised. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but our general rule of thumb is that we produce 60% of the produce that goes into the baskets and 40% is from um, other farmers and ranchers. Wow. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is complicated yeah. from the day that you hit 10 hour days. Yeah. Or even before that, cause you start planning before that. Yeah. But when you hit 10 hour days and all of a sudden it's just like Aaron it's, kicks into gear go season and it's time to go and there's snow on the ground and you're out planting. I mean, this is, this is kind of a, 
for our area, it's really not heard of. You don't you don't see people no. going out and planting gardens in in April. No, and it's um it's really like a tricky thing that I deal with like on social media is that like I see I see some other growers being really enthusiastic in the area about like starting some stuff that I'm like, whoa, I wouldn't I wouldn't start that yet. But you do you, it's cool. Um <laughs> and then I also worry a lot about um, you know, I like I'm going to transplant tomatoes and peppers May 1st is the goal. doesn't mean it'll happen, but that's the goal. And so I need to start them now because you go six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks for peppers, like four to six weeks for tomatoes. Um, but if I'm, if I'm living in Gillette, Wyoming and I'm just a regular grower, like you need to wait because <laughs> like, I'm going to transplant May 1st into the high tunnel. If you're going outside with no season extension, you know, I would say Memorial Day. So like, I don't. So I, you posting something on social media saying I'm doing this. I worry get, that other people are going to replicate it and they're not going to have great results because my. They don't have a high tunnel. Yeah, my timing system. Or their high tunnel could be different. Exactly. Yeah, it could be their growing conditions are unique to themselves. And so it's, it's why I don't have like a cookie quarter, cutter like course of like do this and get that. I'm, I think we should probably just get t-shirts that have like a disclaimer printed on them that just says, you know, what works for me may not work, for you. Not please, work for you. Please, you know, please follow at your own risk or please something. Please do your own research. And like, and that's, we get emails all the time of like, help me do this. And, and like, learn to Google, man. <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't, it's not like, a, I don't want it to sound like a cop out of like, no, we don't want to help you, but it's like, we're very much like growing in our, even raising cattle and stuff like it is different. It can be different. The overall goal is always, always the same. The same but and it doesn't matter if you're growing a tomato or growing yep. a, a calf. But the nuances that really take you from being somewhat successful to very successful is where you when will. When does this very successful thing kick I in? I don't know. <laughs> Those 18 pound cabbages. That was That's my, that very was my successful. year. <laughs> that was my year, man. <laughs> <laughs> what did we end up doing with or you made you made sauerkraut we sold a ton of i sold them all the way like through christmas because i do store and then i made a lot of sauerkraut yeah and i think i think the pigs maybe got like the last 10 or something because i was just like we're done yeah i remember <laughs> being in the shop and you'd walk in the shop and you'd be like Ooh, <laughs> it's getting a little ripe in yeah here. um that was our peak they though. were sauerkrauting themselves I hate to tell you this, but I peaked. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, but those nuances that take you from a 10-pound cabbage to an 18-pound cabbage, like that's where you'll really see success or where like, you know, you go from. It's funny, but now you're going backwards. Now you're going to smaller cabbage. Yeah, to have a successful May cabbage harvest. So it, so it doesn't matter. You, just because you got to an 18-pound cabbage, that's not the sign of success because the 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 softball cabbage may be your your wheelhouse just depends what your consumers needs are and the timing and stuff but nobody ever needs an 18 pound cabbage if you make sauerkraut you do buy two eight pound ones or 32 yeah, of your yeah, softball yeah. I mean, size fine, ones but you can just buy one they were great cabbage but <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard it you know and to to be like this is how to be a successful rancher this is how to be a market farmer and there's tons of people that have already created a million different resources and like I, I find it funny when I see people that have programs and this sounds bad, but I see a lot of programs. And I'm like, wow, that guy figured out a way, a way to make money Yeah, because like his program is 
built around his experience. Yes. Your experience is going to be so different. Now you can hit that broad stroke stuff yes. and you can have a broad stroke program, which we've seen even with like YouTube. Yep. Like there's people that have, here's what you need to do. Make good thumbnails, have good titles, no, you know, what whatever that else. That's very broad stroke stuff. <laughs> yeah. But if you say, okay, I'm going to start a farming channel or a gardening channel and what do I need to do to make that work? That's more specialized, right? It's so specialized. And so like how I've arrived at where we're at today, where I deem myself 83% successful is learning from a multitude of sources and other people that are in the industry. So it's not, it's not followed. It's not just follow Curtis Stone and do everything that Curtis Stone has done. But it's, in the beginning, you were like a huge fan of Curtis because Stone. Because I, I feel that. like it's yeah. super important to learn as many things as you can from as many people as possible and then take everybody's somewhat different techniques and apply them to your situation. So at some point, like my own brain had to kick in and be like, okay, Curtis says do this and Never Sink Farm says do this and John Martin says do this, but... I don't live anywhere that they live and my soil conditions are different. And um, even like Curtis Stone lives in Canada, but he's in zone five and I'm in zone four. And so how do I, this is my end goal. You know, I want cabbage in May for my veggie baskets. How do I, how do I work backwards to make that happen? Well, I need a smaller cabbage. I need to plant on this date because it's going to take 50% longer <laughs> I can't plant until soil temperatures are this. I need to harden the plant for this long. You know, I need to do, I need to water every four days. This is the equivalent of deciding what you're going to have for dinner on May 8th. <laughs> and Kinda. then going backwards and saying, okay, yeah. we're going to have asparagus. You better go plant that down asparagus. Yeah, but I think, you know. I think always like, what is your end goal, right? Like, what is your end goal? And we've even been doing this like with YouTube and Beyond the Ranch and stuff lately. Like, what is our end goal? Like, just a revisit to like, what is our purpose and where are we trying to get? Like, you some to start at the beginning, you have to know what the end is. Don't you agree? Exactly. And that's what I said when we first started this podcast, uh, which went down a way different road than what I thought it was going to. <laughs> but I said that, you know, when as a kid, you think about tomorrow. Yep. As, it seems like as we get older, we're worrying about farther down the road. Oh, which yeah. there's a lot less road down the road the older you get, right? <laughs> so it's almost like life is backwards. Like, you know, when you're a kid, maybe you should be worrying five years down the road. I, you know, we're still worrying five years down the road, and there may not even be five years down the road. Who knows? Are you going to die? Well, no, I'm not planning on it. But the older you get... <laughs> the road gets shorter. Yeah, exactly. The road yeah. is shorter. So but we're worried about further. what's happening, you know, 100 miles up the road. As a kid, you just don't care. It's like, it's weird. I always, I think that's odd. Like it's a yeah. weird, it's a weird no, I, thing that happens as you get older. I ask the kids every day, what are you going to do today? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. You can't even ask them, what did you do in school today? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. We had recess. That's like the high point of their day. Recess, lunch, and whatever, PE, art, or music, whatever they had for the day. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much it. Library. Grace gets excited about library. But as an adult, you can't just think about tomorrow. No, Obviously. I got to think about September, man. You got to think about <laughs> got to think about something. I was actually, uh, when we started the podcast and then we were, and my thought was that we were going to talk about, you know, uh, more than just gardening, but I'm glad that we did just talk about gardening. I we're think that it, it's, it's important <laughs> that, that, you know, it is complicated. There's more to it than just 
putting a, a seed in the ground and putting some dirt on it, putting a little bit of water on it, or miracle grow, no, the no, magical you, stuff that all no. of a sudden, if you have miracle grow, you don't yeah. even need to think about anything. You're going to have plants coming no. out of your ears, right? Don't don't use miracle grow. Don't use miracle grow. <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's super nitrogen heavy. Oh. You want to balance fertilizer. Okay. Phosphorus and no potassium. No sponsorship for miracle no, growth no, coming our way at all. No, uh, potassium. They do have a lot of money, I'm sure. Potassium and phosphorus are more important than nitrogen, in my opinion. Potassium and phosphorus are dirt poor. We're never going to get a sponsorship <laughs> for potassium. <laughs> it's nitrogen. That's where the money is, I'm telling you. Nitrogen. That's that's where the money is. <laughs> I think, though, if you want to be successful in whatever it is that you, whatever your goal is, right? If you want to land on the moon, you got to, like, nerd out and, like, learn some shit. Like, you got to know everything there is to know about. And, and we don't know everything, right? But somewhere along the line, like, I had to become obsessed with market farming. Right. And, and learn as much as I could, as quickly as I could. And so if you want to be a rancher or you want to buy a farm... Because we get those emails every single day. It's sure great do. that you're here and you're following along with our journey, but you've got to... First of all, you make your own journey. Make your own journey. You've got to, at some point, like I said, your brain has to kick in and you've got to figure out your specific situation. And it's okay if you're wrong. You're going to learn from that. But you have to you have to learn as much as you can to prevent as much failure as possible. But you're going to fail. <laughs> 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 all right right no, I no mean, you like, are you I are think... i mean and, and you know we talked about that even in videos this week like you know there you're not going to save every single calf you're not going to be able to every tomato plant mm -hmm. is not going to grow you know it may say on the package eight to ten pounds of tomatoes off this plant but there's going to be ones that aren't going to grow no, anything i may never grow another 18 pound cabbage but i'm going to remember that one year when i had those 18 pound cabbages I peaked. You scared the crap out of a bunch <laughs> of people is what you did, but that's okay. I mean, that's that's part of the learning process too. And and knowing that you're not always going to succeed, I think is I had something... no cabbage last year. Not a one? No. The hail ruined them. Oh, dang hail. Yeah. So seeing that you're knowing that you're not going to succeed is almost the best path to success because you're going to, you're not afraid to try things. Yeah. Try things. Yeah. I mean, don't endanger yourself. I'm not saying jump off the roof with a garbage bag for a parachute. <laughs> I just think about, if like, you do that, you're just an idiot. Just or, you know, or you're seven. If you're working with cattle and stuff, like or any animal, like you know, learn some basic safety first. Or wear a helmet. There's a lot of people that should wear helmets. <laughs> myself included. That's it for us today. Spring is coming. Uh, in fact, it's only 10 days away, uh, but spring isn't really a date. I think it's more of a, it's a, it's a, is it 10 days? It's nine days, nine days. Sorry. Nine days away. Well, whenever you listen to this, just do some math and figure out when March whenever 20th is. is. Uh, but yeah, it's not just spring is not just a date. It's a feeling. It's a, it's a yearning to, to, to get out to work, to see green grass, uh, leaves on trees, a little bounce in your step and yeah, planning, for the future as far as you can, at least as far as you can see, or as far as you want to see, I guess. Maybe kids just don't want to see that far in the future. Maybe that's what it is. Their brains are just different than ours. You're telling me. <laughs> All right. If you enjoy the podcast or anything else we do here with Our Wyoming Life, head on over to our website, ourwyomingwife.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter there. While you're there, you can get updates uh, from all over the ranch. Uh, be the first to find out about new products, videos, uh, sales that come up, sometimes really just what's happening with Aaron and I and the ranch. And if she ever has another 18-pound cabbage. Jerky restock coming soon. Jerky, more jerky. Well, right now we have beef sticks, but 
real beef jerky, traditional beef jerky is on the way back, correct? Yeah, some flavors are coming back that we're out of. That'll be awesome. Sign up for the newsletter so you're the first to know. Always, always. Uh, As always, thanks for listening. If you have a show or a guest idea, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, you can always send me an email at podcast at rwyomonglife.com, and let's talk about it. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week, and thanks for being a part of our Wyoming Life. You've been listening to Our Wyoming Life Perspective. We appreciate you listening. Everything we do is under Our Wyoming Life. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, YouTube, where we post new videos every Tuesday and Friday that allow you to explore the ranch life and to escape the ordinary. You guys be good, and we'll see you back soon.